Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Newton podcast. This podcast seeks to share the truth of God's Word through the sermons and other teachings of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newton, Kansas. We hope these episodes will be a blessing to you and your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Open up to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Would you pray with me as we begin? God, thank you for the word that you have given to us, the word that proclaims your power to save, the goodness of of all that you have done for us. God, this morning I I pray that we would see in your word that you are able to save even the chief of sinners, who if we're honest, we should claim as ourselves. So God, help us to realize that what you have done on the cross is enough for us and for anyone who would look to you in faith. Help us to understand that this morning from your word. Help me as I proclaim it to be truthful in it, to be empowered by your spirit, and help us as we hear it to receive it well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start a little different today. And I want you to think about the worst person you know. Don't say it out loud, please. But think about the worst person you know, the one that really gets under your skin, the one that always has something to say negative, especially about Christianity. And maybe that person is even someone who seeks to tear down your faith or has persecuted you in the past, or is persecuting now in an ongoing fashion, I want you to think about that person. And I want you to know that even that person, the worst person you can think of, can be redeemed by Christ. And I know that because his gospel is powerful. And I know it for two reasons. One... As if we're honest, none of us probably thought of ourselves as the worst person we know. But again, if we're honest, we've all sinned. We all have either done or at least thought about doing some terrible things. Let's be honest. We are probably the worst person we know. And yet, God knew all of it, and God was willing and able to redeem us. That's the first reason that I know he can save the worst person you can think of. The second is this text this morning that reveals God is able to redeem even the greatest enemy of the church and not only redeem him, but make him into arguably the greatest evangelist and church planter the world's ever seen. If you don't know who we're talking about this morning, it's Saul, who we usually refer to as Paul. So in Acts 9, we're going to see how God takes Saul and is going to use him for his glory and his purposes in the advancement of the kingdom. 
So Acts chapter 9, we see first here in chapter 9, Saul the persecutor's plan in verses 1 and 2. Read with me there. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So here we meet Saul. Now we should remember him from a few chapters ago in the stoning of Stephen. Saul was there. And he agreed with putting Stephen to death. He agreed with Stephen's murder. They, they even laid their clothes down at Saul's feet while they were stoning Stephen. Then in the, the chapter, in chapter 8, right after Stephen's death, we see he is ravaging the church. He is going from house to house, and he is dragging both men and women to prison who were followers of Jesus. And now we see him again in chapter 9, and he is up to the same things. He is breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Just hear that. He is breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He still hates Jesus. He hates his church. And he is trying to do away with them. Anything he can to put a stop to this new movement. So by saying here and by reading Paul or that Saul, I'm going to do that more than once, by the way, call him Paul. But Saul is what he is in the text here. Saul is breathing threats and murder. And that's an imagery of pitting Saul in his work, in his plan, versus the plan and work of the Spirit. So as Saul is breathing threats and murder, he is actively working against the Spirit who is the breath of God that gives life. That's what's happening here. It's God versus Saul. It's Saul's plan versus God's plan to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, to see redeemed to the ends of the earth. But this is Saul's plan that we see here. He's going to go wherever the disciples of the Lord have gone. And they've left Jerusalem after the stoning of Stephen and Saul's persecution. They've left and they've taken with them the message of the gospel. And so Saul is like, it's spreading. I need to stop it. I'm going to go with them and I'm going to seek to stop it there so it doesn't spread any further. So he follows them to Damascus. And before he leaves, he asks the high priest to give him letters addressed to the synagogues there in Damascus that would allow him to go in and to arrest and have the authority to take any men or women he finds that belong to the way, the way of Jesus, and take them back to Jerusalem, to prison. Anybody that he finds that identify with Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. He wants to arrest them and take them back to Jerusalem. And he has the authority to do this to do this with these letters, which he apparently receives because he makes his way to Damascus. Now, this is about 150 miles north of Jerusalem. So he's got quite a bit of time to probably do some of that work on the way. So everything here in Saul's plan, is setting up nicely for him. But what's in store for him before he gets to Damascus, while he's on the road, will change everything in Saul's life. Because his plan of going and persecuting and ravaging the church and taking them back to Jerusalem 
is about to come into conflict with Jesus, the Savior's plan. So there's Saul's plan. I'm going to go and I'm going to persecute the church. And I'm going to put a stop to the way. And then there's Jesus, the Savior's plan, who is, I'm going to have witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, I wonder who is going to win in this matchup. We're going to see that. Jesus, the Savior's plan, is what we see in verses 3 to 16. So read that with me. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. There there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how he must suffer for my name. So here's Jesus, the Savior's plan in these verses. This light makes Saul on the road to Damascus He is almost there. He's nearly to Damascus when he is stopped on the road in his tracks by this light shining from heaven. And from this light, Saul falls to his knees as he hears this voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul answers, who are you, Lord? He knows that the one speaking is from God, but he's not exactly sure who it is. And who it turns out to be, no doubt, will shock Saul. He says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now, before we continue and see the rest of Jesus' plan, we come across this very important truth here. Notice that Jesus tells Saul he is persecuting Jesus, even though Saul had likely never even met him. He likely never met him before he was crucified. He likely didn't see him after he was resurrected. And since he had returned to heaven, he'd likely never met Jesus. But Jesus is saying, Saul, you're persecuting me in what you're doing. And this shows us what we should hopefully already know. Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is the body of Christ. And so Jesus is closely identifying with his people And he's saying to persecute his people, his body, the church, is to persecute himself. So when Stephen was stoned, Jesus felt that. When the disciples were being beaten and taken to prison, 
Jesus felt that. Saul was not persecuting just the believers. Saul was persecuting Jesus himself. And so he meets Saul on the road here, and he says, you're persecuting me. I'm Jesus. Now we see the plan coming into conflict with Saul's plan. This is the plan of Jesus. Saul was going to Damascus to persecute and imprison, but Jesus says, no, get up, go into the city like you planned, but unlike what you plan to do, I'm going to tell you what you must do. You have this idea, Saul, you were going to go into the city and you were going to take prisoners and go back to Jerusalem, but I'm stopping you here and I'm saying, yeah, you're going to go to Damascus, but you're not taking any prisoners I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. And Saul, after this encounter with the risen Jesus, gets up and cannot see. The men traveling with Saul heard all of this, but they didn't see anything. So they lead Saul into Damascus. He stays there for three days. He's blind. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. And now we see Jesus enact his plan here. Continue it on. What is Jesus the Savior's plan for Saul? In a vision, he goes to Ananias, one of his disciples in Damascus, and tells him, go to this street, to this house, and there you're going to find a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's seen you, he knows you're coming, and you're going to go and give him his sight back. And Ananias likely had his own plans that day that were not this, because he knows about the letters from the high priest. He knows about Saul. So he was probably going to go meet with some other believers that day, and they were going to go about gossiping the gospel as they should be doing without being arrested by Saul. That was probably Ananias' plan. I'm going to go meet with some other believers, some people of the way. We're going to talk about Jesus some. We're going to go tell others about Jesus, but we're going to do it in a way that Saul isn't going to find us. Because we know he has those letters. We know why he's coming here to arrest us. And so Jesus tells him, no, that's not what you're going to do today. You're going to go to Saul. You're going to go to him. You're going to go to the one that you've heard all about, that traveled 150 miles to arrest you. You're going to him. And so Ananias is rightly hesitant here. Saul, again, was there when a member of the church, Stephen, died right in front of Saul, and Saul was okay with it. Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, of whom Ananias was one. Saul was on his way there to try to find people like Ananias to arrest him, to persecute him, likely not in a hey, come on, just come with me kind of way, but you're coming, you're not going to enjoy it, you're going to be beaten along the way, and then you're going to be imprisoned. So Jesus is telling Ananias here, I want you to go to the worst person you can think of. The worst person you can think of. The one who is the greatest enemy of the church at this time. Because I've chosen him, Ananias. 
I know it doesn't make sense to you right now, but I've chosen Saul to be my instrument in taking the gospel to the Gentiles and going before kings and leaders and going to the Israelites. And yes, he caused a lot of suffering and he did a lot of damage to my church, to me. But I'm going to show him that he is now going to not cause suffering, but to suffer for my name, to make my name great. Ananias was about to get a front row seat to the power of the gospel. Saul, who caused so much suffering in the lives of the church, will now come to be a part of the church and again, no longer cause suffering, but endure it for the sake of Jesus. Now we see the power of the gospel in the last verses we'll look at. Verses 17 to 20. Ananias went and entered the house He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately he he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. Ananias here listens to Jesus. He goes to the place he was told about. He lays his hands on Saul, and then he does something amazing. Not giving him his sight back, not giving him the Holy Spirit. Those are amazing. But what he does, even maybe not maybe more amazing, but just as amazing, he calls him brother. Do you notice that? Brother Saul. He's identifying Saul as a brother in Christ based on Jesus' words, Jesus' testimony about what Saul will do. And he tells Saul about Jesus' command to go and help him regain his sight. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Then we see the power of the gospel in full force. Scales fall off of Saul's eyes. He was once blind both physically and spiritually, but now he's got full vision. Saul is baptized. He publicly declares and identifies with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That's what baptism is. I am now identifying with Jesus, buried with him in baptism, risen to newness in life. He's baptized. This is huge. Because now it puts a target on Saul's back, which we're going to see more next week. But now Saul is going to be a target of persecution. Saul then begins to eat. He regains his strength, and he stays with the disciples in Damascus that he was once planning to imprison. I I can't get over the fact that he was going there to imprison these people Then Jesus shows up, gives Saul his real purpose in life, and now he's with those people proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues he had the authority to imprison them in. That's the power of the gospel. He's one of them now because of Jesus. And it says he immediately begins proclaiming Jesus in those synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. 
The letters he traveled to Damascus with from the high priest were to those synagogues that gave him authority to imprison his now brothers and sisters in Christ. And instead of imprisoning them, he's preaching with them and desiring to see more join them, more be a part of the way to become brothers and sisters in Christ. Only Jesus and his gospel can do what's just been done. Only the gospel. Only Jesus. No, no one else, nothing else could take someone who is an absolute enemy of something on the way to persecute them, to imprison them because he hates them so much, he's, he's breathing threats and murder against them, to now making him the chief proclaimer of what he once hated. Nothing else can do that. This is the power of the gospel. And this account that we see of Saul's life, of his conversion, is why we can read Romans 1.16 from the hand of Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul could write that because he experienced it. This was the life of Paul in encountering the gospel and the power of God, bringing him to salvation. He's living proof of the power of the gospel because he declares in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them, he says. If he could save me, Paul says, then he can save anyone, even the chief of sinners. So again, the person that I asked you about in the beginning to think of, the worst person you know, they too can be redeemed by the blood of Christ just like Saul. Someone just needs to go with them, to go to them with the gospel. Believing, but that person has to believe, truly believe that that gospel that they're sharing is the power of God for salvation. Ananias believed it. Maybe not right away, but eventually he believed it enough to go to obey Christ. So maybe God is telling you to be the person to go to take the gospel to someone who maybe is the worst person you know. To be an Ananias to a Saul. To go to tell them the gospel to eventually call them brother or sister in Christ. To welcome them in, even though they may have done terrible things. Because the power of the gospel can redeem them. And again, if we're honest, we all at one point in our lives, like Saul, had a plan that was against God's plan. Maybe it wasn't as extreme as Saul's plan. We weren't going out and going into churches and seeking to imprison believers. But it was just as opposite of God's plan as Saul's was. It had the same desire to rebel against God, to do anything except what God wanted, to do things our own way. But thanks be to God that he met us on our own Damascus road. He saved us from continuing in our plan, and he gave us a better one. And so 
While our transformation may not be as extreme as Saul's from persecuting the church to planting them, our transformation is nonetheless just as amazing. Just like we read at the beginning of the service, we were once dead. Dead. Not almost dead. Not Princess Bride, he was mostly dead. No, you were dead. Lifeless. And then you were given life by Christ because you heard the gospel that is the power of God to salvation. I think of my friend who is a pastor in Indiana and he's actually preaching through Acts with me as well, although he's a week behind because he's a bit of a slacker and he'll watch it and he'll, <laughs> he'll catch that. But he, he used to say, this is what I heard him talk about, that he used to have this not really shame, but he was just kind of, yeah, my testimony's not that great. I grew up in church. I was, I was saved when I was young. I knew a lot about the Bible. And so I, you know, I lived a pretty righteous life. I didn't do a lot of wrong. I wasn't addicted to anything. I didn't you know, go out and, and do all the sorts of things that may, we think of when we think of sins. And so he, he said, my life didn't change a whole lot. And so my, my testimony is kind of boring, is what he used to say. But now, he doesn't think that. Instead, he looks at, at Saul, and he looks at the passage that we read, and he thinks, my testimony is just as amazing as Saul's. Because again, I was dead, and now I'm alive. And how, how many other things in life could you say, well, I mean, I guess that's fine, that you know, that, that beloved family pet has died and then, you know, three days later, it's alive again and we think, that's it's fine, it's whatever. No, we think, that's amazing. That's your testimony. That's your life if you're in Christ. It's amazing. It may not have looked as extreme and as crazy as Saul's or some other's testimonies, but it's just as amazing. You were dead, now you're alive. Don't, don't overlook that. But maybe you're here this morning and you're still on your own Damascus road. You're traveling along seeking to, to, to do your own thing, to live how you want to live. You have no thought or regard for God and his commands. You, you want to do whatever you want to do and nobody can tell you any different. Well, maybe today is the day that the light of Jesus is shining on your road, causing you to stop in your tracks. Maybe you've been in church for 50 years and you've still just been on your own road. You've been doing your own thing. Maybe today is finally the day that Jesus catches you there. And like Saul, you just need to fall to your knees, fall down and hear the words that Jesus is telling you, that there's a different and better plan for your life. It's not what you want to do, it's what he has called you to do. And that plan is to believe in Jesus, believe that he died for your sins, that he rose again, that he conquered sin and death for you, and that you need to repent of those sins, to turn away, to stop following your plan and follow his, being baptized, living as he's commanded you to live in his word. Maybe today is your Saul conversion experience. Maybe you need to just See that light. See Jesus. See what he's done. Hear him calling you to himself. 
And if it is here in a few moments, come forward and tell us about it so we can celebrate. And your name can be written. What was the name of the song? Yeah, there's a new name written down in heaven. And we can celebrate with you. Because everyone in here has had that conversion experience if they're in Christ. And there's no shame in saying, it's been 50 years I've been in church, but I've never done it. We're not going to say, I can't believe that you didn't believe. We're going to say, praise God, you believe now. So if you're here and you haven't, make today the day, whatever it is. However long you've been in church, however short you've been in church, look to Jesus and believe. Get off the Damascus Road and follow Jesus' the way. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for our testimony. Thank you for stopping us on the way that we were going, the way that did whatever we wanted to do, following everything but your word. Thank you that you met us there. Thank you for redeeming us. God, let us never get callous to the reality that we were once dead, but now we're alive. That we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we've been given life and righteousness in Christ. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who does not have that testimony, who's never experienced forgiveness and life, Lord, I pray today would be the day, whether it's here, now, in this moment, whether it's in the fellowship dinner, whether it's 15 minutes after church and they just need to call and talk to someone about it, whatever the time is, Lord, I pray today would be the day that they have their eyes open, the scales would fall off, they would see you for who you truly are, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, their Lord and friend. God, we pray that you would work and move here and now. And that even as we leave here this morning, we would follow you and we would share with those we may even think are the worst person we know, that we would share the gospel with them, believing that it has the power to redeem them as it did us. So God, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to pray with someone this morning, if you need a church home this morning, or if you need to have your eyes open to Jesus or tell us that your eyes have been opened, come forward. Let the Spirit lead you as you do. Please stand for our... Thank you for listening to this recording of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newton, Kansas. We hope that the biblical truths presented in this podcast will help you in your walk with Jesus. If you do not have a church home, we invite you to join us here at 1045 on Sunday mornings. You can find the church address as well as other information about our church at ibcnewton.org. Whether you are able to join us here in person or not, we hope that you will find a Bible-believing church near you to join as you continue to follow Jesus.